Good morning, folks. Wasn't that great? I know the last 12 months have been brutal, but God has been gracious to us as a church over that time. And in, in, in an age where we have the technology to be able to provide online service, it has been amazing to see what we've been able to do and how God has graciously enabled us to, to, do, to do that over the last 12 months, which has been amazing. And folks, I sit here, uh, hopefully, uh, preaching to you for the last time through this video and through this. So I hope it is, obviously, this time next week we will be celebrating together in our new church building there on Dovedale Road uh, on Easter Sunday. So we are so excited for that. I hope you guys are, are too. Folks, one of the things that I've missed the most over the past 12 months is meeting up with people, meeting up with brothers and sisters. And, you know, the, the, the little times that we've had over that year where we've been at a doorstep visit or gone for a walk or in the summer where it was a little bit more open for us to meet people, they were times which I've really, really, really enjoyed. Now, I've missed you guys, but I've also missed people that I have relationships with in other churches, both in Liverpool and other parts of the UK and all around the world. And I often meet up with friends and colleagues and those who are in ministry at conferences or uh, training events or actually going to speak and visit other churches. Now, one of the main reasons for, for that is not only because I love those people, I like to see them. I actually love catching up with them, finding out what God is doing in their lives, what God is doing in their churches. And these conversations often begin with talking about them, their family, and then we'll chat about their ministry and chat about the church. And if, if I have a really good relationship with, with their church, like I've been there several times, I've spent time with their leaders and with their elders, I'll probably also ask about different people in their church and ask about how that person's doing or, or how that sister's doing in the Lord and finding out what God is doing in and through them. And and the same as the, the, uh, for me, most healthy conversations mean that those questions are reciprocated. And they ask me and they ask me about the elders and about different people that they know within the life of Cornerstone Church. And folks, can I say this? It never fails, never fails to move me or fill my heart with gratitude when I am sharing about what God is doing in the lives of people in our church, when my colleagues, my friends, other pastors in conferences ask about them. In fact, it happened this week. I was invited to uh, a Zoom prayer meeting, a Zoom call prayer meeting for another church in the city. And they were asking us about Cornerstone and giving an, an update. And as I shared about what God had been doing and what I hope he will do, and different people in the church, I finished and I sat on the couch and I said to Sean, I said this, it never ceases to amaze me or move me when I think and share about what God has done and is doing through the people of Cornerstone Church. Folks, as I share those things, and I, as I even said that to Sean, my mind was being flooded with examples of Christ-likeness. Examples of Christ-likeness amongst people who we do life with as Cornerstone Church. And that's been evident for the whole 11 years that I've been here, but also evident specifically in the last 12 months. Now in the, this letter that, that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, we've come to a point where, where in the midst of him sharing this ministry update regarding real people and real situations, we see that he actually shares what God has been doing in the lives of two people, 
for the encouragement and the benefit of the church in Philippi. Now, I want us to remember this, that this letter that Paul is writing to a people that he loves is like this ministry update regarding real people and real situations, but it is also a wonderfully theologically rich letter that has been calling us as a church to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel and living these lives together in community as partakers of grace, all while allowing the work and the example of Jesus's humility to define and shape how we live and how we do our lives. Now it's interesting, the two verses in chapter 2 that I think sort of uh, have been sort of like the, the foundation that we've moved from over the last couple of weeks have, have been these in chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And it's interesting that Paul begins sort of this part of the letter to, to tell them, look, don't look to yourselves and selfish ambition, but actually think of others more than yourselves. And then what he does in order for us to, to make sense of that, he, he calls us to have the mind of Christ and shows us this beautiful example of Jesus's humility. And then last week what we saw is that in light of that beautiful humility and, and what Jesus has done and who Jesus is and where Jesus is now, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it's from that point that Paul then shares an update regarding his friends that actually gives more examples of what it looks like to live lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. And as Paul updates them, them, the examples of Christ-likeness is so evident that Paul wants them, the church to see this. He wants to see the tangible examples of how Jesus' story defines the story of a believer by sharing these examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Actually, later on in Philippians 3.17, Paul is going to say this. He's going to say this, brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In light of what Paul has been saying, in light of what he will say in chapter 3, he's saying, keep your eyes open to the people who are living lives that we should be and are to be living as Christians. He's saying, imitate those who display the likeness unto Jesus, those who are distinct he's going to be calling us to have our eyes open to see examples of those who have gone before us and those who live amongst us so that we can learn from them and so that that helps us not to as Dietrich Bonhoeffer the theologian for Germany said it will stop us from becoming people who embrace cheap grace Stop us from being those who name themselves as Christians, but seem no different from anyone else. See, Paul, over the first couple of chapters, has, has, has move, is moving from instruction and imperatives to living illustrations of what it is to be Christ-like, what it is to be a Christian. Now, folks, I get asked often, about how we train leaders and how we train, train church planters in Cornerstone Church. And, and what I will say is this, that leadership is taught, but leadership is also caught. 
It's taught in that there are things that we can share, there are things that we can show, there are things that we can read, but actually a lot of leadership is caught by being in the presence of those who lead and those who lead well. And Don Carson said this about growing as a Christian. He said, much Christian character is as much caught as it is taught. Modeling, modeling. It takes place all the time, whether we take it in or not. See, the content is important. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to know his word. We need to figure out and think things through. We need to have an understanding and a knowledge of who God is that flows into a life that reflects Christ. But so often, and just as important, we not only have to be taught those things, that actually we have to catch those things in living amongst and seeing the example of those who display Christ-likeness. And these two men here that we have read about at the end of chapter 2 are examples worth watching and worth learning from. Now, folks, before we look into the details that Paul highlights regarding their lives and their examples at this moment in time for the church in Philippi, let me give you an overall reason why we see that the lives of these two men, both Timothy and Epaphroditus, are defined by the story of Jesus and are a reflection of the story of Jesus before we look at uh, the, the, the smaller details that Paul highlights for us. See, Timothy. Timothy is like Jesus because, and Paul says it there in verse 20, because he is constantly concerned with the well-being of others. Paul says there's no one like him who will be concerned for you. See, Timothy, in contrast to the others, is thinking of the needs of others before himself. And Epaphroditus is like Jesus in that he serves and has a heart to minister to Paul on behalf of the church, and he nearly dies in the process of it. His service for others drove him to death's door, like the Lord Jesus, that Jesus humbled himself even unto death. And we see that in verse 27 and verse 30. So as we look at from 50,000 feet, we see that Timothy's story is defined by the story of Jesus. And also Epaphroditus' story is defined by the story of Jesus. In that Timothy was concerned for the interest of others before himself. And that Epaphroditus had a hard service that drove him to near death for the sake of other people. Now I want to spend some time looking at the details that Paul sort of highlights as he gives this ministry update for us to see and to be taught, and also for us to catch. So it enables us to imitate. So folks, a gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see, number one, compassion for others, verses 20 to 21. See, Paul is wanting to send Timothy for two reasons. Number one, because Paul then will hear of the news of the church in Philippi and that will cheer his heart. He will, he will be cheered by the news that he hears about them. But number two, because Timothy, number two is, is he is sending Timothy because Timothy is genuinely concerned for their welfare. Paul makes a contrast between him, Timothy, and others that I guess he could have sent by saying, there's no one like Timothy. No one has the compassion and the concern for others like him. 
And if you notice this, verse 21, this concern pours out from an interest in Jesus. See, Timothy was about the glory of Jesus. And to be about the glory of Jesus is also to be about the good and the building up of the church. See, Timothy was about the glory and the interest of the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ that poured into him having genuine compassion and concern for others, for the church, and specifically the church in Philippi. Folks, the Lord Jesus Christ is described as the bridegroom. The church is described as the bride. See, you can't love the bridegroom and have no affection for the bride. To truly love Jesus, the bridegroom, will mean that you have genuine concern and compassion for those who are part of his church. See, we see this Christ-likeness in that the Lord Jesus has compassion on broken, lost people. And he sought their interest. He sought our interest over his own in that he died for us. See, his compassion and love was such that he served them with genuine concern that was active and was costly. See, Timothy is imitating the Christ in that he has genuine concern and compassion for the church at Philippi. See, folks, compassion for others that pours from a concern for the interest and glory of God is Christ-like. And it is worth imitating. My question is to you is, who are the brothers and sisters that display this sort of compassion that are amongst you, that you see in the life of Cornerstone Church? Watch them. Learn from them. Grow and imitate them. See, a gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see compassion for others. Number two, a gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see authentic friendship. Verses 22 to 24. Paul then backs up his claim that Timothy has genuine concern and compassion for him in that he reminds them, the church, of what they already know of Timothy in how he has lived an authentic gospel friendship and companionship with Paul. Paul says, look how he saved me as a son saves his father. See, Paul referred on a number of occasions to Timothy as his, as his child in the faith. See, their relationship was such that the gospel was the central nucleus of their relationship. It was the gospel that brought them together. It was the gospel that, that enabled them to live in this companionship, in this friendship together. See, folks, it wasn't a friendship that was superficially built around a program or a meeting. It was real in the mix and mess of a relationship which categorized itself by a saving in, from, and of the gospel one to another. See, folks, authentic gospel relationships, companionships, are friendships that display a way of caring and being cared for like Christ would care for you. <laughs> See, Paul wants to send Timothy because he wants to hear of news from the church of Philippi, but Paul also needs Timothy, verse 23. Do, do we get that? Can we, can we see that? This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy that wrote 25% of the New Testament. And he still needs gospel friendship. 
He needs Timothy. See, he needs Timothy in and through the gospel to remind him of the gospel when he's tempted to sin. When he does sin. He needs Timothy to stir his heart in the gospel when he is discouraged and walking through great hardship, of which they did on many occasions. And he needs Timothy to help him to give the glory to Jesus when he is excited about success and he may be growing in pride. Folks, Christ-likeness is displayed in authentic companionship and friendship that centers around gospel. Centers around gospel. Folks, do your friendships center around the gospel? Do your Christian friendships center around the gospel? Are you caring and are you being cared for like Christ will be caring for you? See, the Bible tells us that God, God is our friend. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, is the friend of sinners. See, folks, if we're not moving towards people in gospel friendship, there's an element that we are failing to present and imitate Jesus. We're failing to be Christ-like. See, authentic friendship steeped and centered around true gospel love is Christ-like. And we should imitate him and imitate those who display it. See, one of the values of the Cornerstone Collective, which is the, the communion of churches that we are all part of here in Merseyside, is this, a relational communion. We have deep relationships. So we meet regularly as pastors of all the different churches, and we haven't been able to do it for the last 12 months, but every single month we meet with our, with our wives, elders and wives, we meet together and we grow in our friendship and our love one for another. Why do we do that? We do that because the most neglected element of church leadership is authentic gospel friendship. And we want to foster that. We want our friendships to be centered around the truth of the gospel. We want to encourage each other when we're discouraged. We want to challenge each other in and through the gospel when we are tempted to sin. And folks, as a church, we want to display that and imitate one another. And our hope and prayer is that that pours into the life of Cornerstone Church as we do that together. Do you have friends like this? Are you a friend like this? Who are the people you know who serve you in the gospel in this way? Who are the people that you need? Watch them. Listen to them. Imitate them. See, a gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see authentic relationship. Number three, a gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see lived-out identity, verse 25. See, what happens here is at 25, Paul then shifts his updates from Timothy to Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus was a leader in the church, probably a lay leader. And so look how Paul, verse 25, describes him. He calls him a brother. He calls him a brother because he recognizes that he is a partaker of grace in the gospel. He has the same status before God. He is a brother of Jesus. He's a child of the Father. And he sees Epaphroditus as that same status. He is family. We are part of the family of God. He is my brother. He calls him a co-worker. That they are working together. They have the same job. 
They have the same mission to proclaim Jesus. Now, within that mission, they have different roles, but they are still co-workers. See, Paul was the instrument that Jesus was using to take the gospel to the world. But Epaphroditus was a cog in that mission as he brought support from the church to Paul. And in doing so, nearly worked himself to death for the sake of the mission. He calls him a co-worker. He calls him a fellow soldier, which is Paul's favorite picture of the Christian life, the picture of a soldier in battle together. See, Epaphroditus, as far as Paul was concerned, was an equal. They were co-soldiers together, battling together for the glory of God. Folks, do you see this Christian life as a battle? Well, let me change that. Is your battle against flesh and blood? The Bible tells us clearly that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but the battle is against powers and principalities. There are spiritual elements to the Christian life of which we are at war with. But we walk behind Jesus Christ who has triumphed over sin, death and hell. But in the midst of us waiting for him to return, to make all things new, to bring a world about that we want, we are fellow soldiers. Pushing back darkness. Yes, different roles, but we are equal in that fight. He calls him a messenger. Messenger that actually translates means apostle. See, like Paul, he was given a mission. A mission to share the love of the church. Which is the mission we all have been given. And he refers to him as a minister. See, he ministers to the needs of his brother in Christ. See, Paul describes who Epaphroditus is in his identity. Because all of these things are aspects of what it is to have our identity in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are co-workers. We are fellow soldiers. We are all called to bring and share the love of Christ in and through the life of the church. And we are all called to minister to one another. And Epaphroditus here is displaying this identity in that it is a lived out identity. See, folks, in Christ, we all have these things. The question is, do you live out that identity? Or do you embrace cheap grace? Folks, who are the people who live out that identity before you? In your midst? Would you be known as someone who lives out their identity in Christ? Folks, I want to encourage you, open up your eyes. Who are these people who are part of the life of our church? Get into their company. And if, and if you're not already there, step in. If you are already there, open your eyes. Imitate them as they love like family, work and fight for Jesus while they share the message of the gospel and meet the needs of those who are around them. See, folks, a gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see lived-out identity. See, a gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see selfless love, verse 26. See, Epaphroditus, in his mission to bring this gift and meet the needs of Paul, nearly dies. Nearly dies. But who is on his mind in the midst 
of his illness. Himself? No. The church in Philippi. See, in the midst of his suffering, Epaphroditus doesn't turn inwards. No, he turns outwards. His concern was that they had heard that he was ill and he was distressed because they were worried about him. See, he didn't want them to worry, not with this false sense of, of pride, no. Because he legitimately cared and loved them and did not want them to be distressed. See, Epaphroditus, even in his darkest moment, he was thinking of the interests of others. Now, it's interesting, folks, the other place in the Bible where this word, the same word that is used for distressed here, is used for Jesus when he is in the garden of Gethsemane, just before he dies. When he's contemplating going to the cross and contemplating taking the judgment of God in our place, but again... There, Jesus, rather than turning inwards, turns outwards and submits to the will of the Father and the interest of us. Our culture, folks, is obsessed with self-love. Obsessed with it. That unless we love ourselves, put ourselves first, and make sure we are comfortable and happy, we are not able to help others. That's the way it goes. We need to sort ourselves before we can help others. But that isn't the model of Epaphroditus. And that isn't what has been modelled by the Lord Jesus. See, I'm fearful, folks, that as the church, we have swallowed the pill of prerequisite self-love before saving others. That we have to get our self-love ducks all in a row before we would ever contemplate serving anyone else. See, selfless love is costly. By the very nature that you put yourself, the most important person in the world to you, second. And selfless love is costly because selfless love is often required at the most inconvenient times. So if we buy the pill and swallow the pill of our cultures, you need to have self-love. You, you need to have yourself sorted to be comfortable before you're in any fit state to serve anyone else. We misunderstand the humility and the Christ-likeness of Epaphroditus. We misunderstand the cross. We misunderstand the cross. We misunderstand the call of what it is to serve others. See, folks, if that's what we live according to we will never serve people when it is inconvenient we will never pay the cost that is required to walk with others in their brokenness is your mark is your life marked by selfless love for others and folks who are those who clearly display selfless love amongst us Let us remember that the Lord Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself even unto death, to death on a cross. Open your eyes to see who imitates Christ in that way and imitate them. Imitate them. A gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see selfless love.
A gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when you see an embracing of weakness, verse 27. See, Epaphroditus nearly died, but it was the mercy of God that saved him. In order for him to live and function, he needed the strength of God. He needed the mercy of God. And also what we see here is that Paul also recognizes that it was the mercy of God that helped him because the death of Epaphroditus would have been another sorrowful, sorrowful thing on top of what he was already dealing with. And God had mercy and spared him of that also. See, folks, let us see here that both Epaphroditus and Paul needed help and they knew it. They knew it. And Paul even acknowledges it in this letter, doesn't he? Look, it's the mercy of God that saved Epaphroditus because that would have been another sorrow on sorrow that I have been experiencing. In fact, in another letter, 2 Corinthians, he says this, in my weakness, he is strong. What we have here is the apostle recognizing weakness and embracing his weakness. See, folks, Christ-likeness and lives worth imitating are those who know they need God to live, breathe, and have their being. See, even the Lord Jesus was sustained by the work of the Spirit and the fellowship of the Father. But the problem is, in our context and our culture, we have the tendency to be people who, rather than embrace weaknesses, we repent of them. And we hide them away and pretend that everything is okay or at worst, we seek to crack on in our own strength. Folks, don't imitate those who present self-strength. No. Imitate those who find their strength in the love and mercy of God. Imitate those who find their strength in the joy of the Lord, not those who go to bed with an attitude that they are entitled to wake up in the morning, but no, those who rather recognize that his mercies on you every morning and his faithfulness is great. Is great. Folks, Christ-likeness and w- A gospel life is Christ-like and worthy of imitation when we see companionship for others, when we see authentic friendships, when we see their identities lived out, when we see a display and displays of selfless love and when we see people embracing their weakness and relying on the strength that only comes from God. Imitate those people. God, by his grace, has put examples, tangible examples, that can be heard and seen and touched in the midst of us, of those who follow the example of the Lord Jesus that helps us. Those people are worthy of imitation. See, my next thing is, how do we engage with such people? What does Paul say? Verse 28 to 30. With joy and honour. See, he wants to send Epaphroditus back so that they will be filled with joy. But he also says, honour him. Receive them with honour. See, Epaphroditus specifically, he had risked his life serving the church and Paul. See, it was Epaphroditus who was the one that made it possible for the gift that they had collected to get to Paul. He, he, he made up what was lacking in their gift. And Paul wants them 
to honour him for the sacrifice he had made and for the service he had done. How are we to engage with people who imitate Christ? How are we to engage with those who faithfully serve Christ and build up the body? We are to honour them. Honour them. Folks, in fact, the only area in the Bible where we are called to outdo each other is in the area of showing honour. See, the Christian life should be filled with honouring one another. It should be. Yes, the ultimate honour goes to Jesus, but under that honour, we should have deep appreciation for the hard work of those who build up the church of Christ. So when we see people faithfully serving him, we should be quick to show them honour. And that's what I want to do today. I want to honour those who have built up the church of Jesus Christ. This year has been brutal. It has been brutal in so many different ways. And this time last year, we had to pivot and think differently and all of us regarding our lives, regarding family, regarding work, and also regarding the life of what it is to be part of Cornerstone Church. And like I said before, God willing, this will be the last time that we have to provide a full online service as we begin to meet in person next week. So I want to honour all those who have served tirelessly, not only over this last 12 months, but for many, many years. Folks, I want to honour all the gospel community leaders. How they've sought to serve the 15, 20 people who were in their community with calls and texts and facilitating Bible studies and doorstop visits and, and food and care and facilitating prayer for those who are in need. You have been outstanding. And I want to honour you for that. For all those who do kids' church, how you faithfully jumped on Zoom when you've had little kids, little children who, who are messing around with the backgrounds and writing to each other and are not even listening and picking their nose and mum and dad are trying to keep them sitting, but you faithfully served every, every Sunday morning, Saturdays at the beginning and then into Sunday, providing music and sharing the Bible and praying for them faithfully. I want to honour you. For all the bolder leaders, who again have had a similar task on a Monday when teenagers are just all zoomed out and the last thing they want to do is jump on. But these guys have faithfully served and loved and cared and prayed and sought to walk and visit and engage. And even when the, the teenagers have been a bit moody and not interested, you'd faithfully walked through that and elements of dis dis discouragement. I want to honour you. I want to honour the prayer rock warriors in our church many of whom have had to isolate and just stay at home all the time, but have faithfully prayed every single day for the ministry of the church, for the broken, for the children, for those who are struggling, for families. I want to honour the prayer warriors. I want to honour the text titans, those who are quick to text people, those who are quick to bring encouragement, those who are quick to share news, those who are quick just to text, to bring an encouragement to whoever in the life of our church. I want to encourage and honour the willing walkers. Those, wind, rain or shine, are willing to go for a one-to-one -one walk with somebody in the life of our church. 
I want to honour all the food collectors. Those who've gone and when they've shopped, they've also bought two or three bags of shopping and taken it down to Ramley's Road Chapel. And for all those who have gone and distributed all that food to those who have been in need, and by God's grace, there are people who've come to know Jesus because of that ministry. Folks, I want to honour all the food collectors. I want to honour the musicians. The musicians who come every single week and serve and sing to an empty room for the glory of God so that we can have our online services. I want to honour you. I want to honour all those who have counselled people through this difficult time. Those who are doing one-to-ones on Zoom and in person to try and bring the gospel to bear on people who have desperately needed that love and that care at this time. I want to honour you. I want to honour the Cornerstone Church staff team for their tireless work. I want to honour those who have done all the things behind the scenes that people don't see in order for us to continue the life of our church, to make sure bills are paid, to make sure that staff are paid, to make sure that people are cared for, to make sure that online services are cared. I want to honour the staff team and I want to honour the elders of Cornerstone Church. Those men... And their wives who tirelessly pray and look into the word and are dropping things at a drop of a hat to serve God's people in this particular different moment. Folks, you don't know the tears and the pain and the prayers that are prayed. Every Wednesday morning, the elders meet on Zoom early and we pray for this church. And it is through the prayers of his leaders and the prayers of his people that I believe God has sustained them. I want, in the name of Christ, to honour you all. And thank you. On behalf of everyone in the church for what you've done for the glory of Christ and the building up of the church. I want to honour you. And I want to imitate many, many of you. Folks, just as I close, just a few things to consider in application. First is this. Saving others will cost you, but it's worth it. It is worth it. Just imagine we've got Paul and we've got Timothy and we've got Epaphroditus and many others that have gone before who are looking behind saying, keep going. It's worth it. We've got those who are in our midst who are paying so much cost to save others who are looking around saying, look, keep going. It is worth it. Deep relationships, folks, are forged when you are on mission with other brothers and sisters. Maybe one of the reasons why we struggle to have friendships is because actually we see friendships more of a selfish thing rather than a selfless mission thing. My strongest relationships that I have are all based around serving together in mission. And I'm not talking about doing a program or doing an event. I'm talking about limping along together in ministry for the cause of Christ. Next one, the church has always and will always be sustained, enriched and built up by unsung heroes. Unsung heroes. Epaphroditus was an unsung hero. Nobody knew him. And finally, faithful Christian living doesn't always have to be extraordinary. It's real. It's broken. It's in the mix. It's in the mess. Folks, the Lord Jesus Christ 
is the example that has been given to us for true humility and true life that is worthy of the gospel. But in his graciousness, he has also given us other examples, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul. And in his graciousness, he's also given us other examples, those who are displaying Christ-likeness and living lives that are worthy of the gospel. Folks, open your eyes to them and imitate them. Be taught. And put into practice what you've caught for the glory of Jesus and the building up of the church. Yes, it will be costly, but yes, it is worth it. Because of a life that is filled with joy, Jesus, others, and then yourself, is a life that brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. It actually enables us to understand what it is to walk in this brokenness with a hope that are rooted in the promises of God because of Christ. And we, we get to enjoy that and see that as we serve others. Folks, one more thing I'd love you to do. Why don't you today spend time praying and thanking God for those that you've thought of whilst I've preached this sermon? Why don't you text them? Why don't you WhatsApp them? Why don't you encourage them? Because let us outdo each other in showing honour. Because those people are seeking to live just like the one who should receive all honour more than anyone else. The Lord Jesus. Because it's for him that we serve and it's him that we glorify. God bless you. And hopefully next week, I'll be able to see you and preach in person. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you so much for his love, his sacrifice, his humility for all of us. I want to thank you for those, Lord, that have gone before who display that Christ-likeness and are worthy of imitation. I want to praise and thank you for those who you have graciously given us as tangible examples of what that means. Help us to open our eyes to see those people. Those people who seek to bring glory to you and build up the church. Help us to honour them and help us to imitate them and help us to be a church full of Christ-like people who don't embrace cheap grace but rather live out our identities in the midst of showing compassion authentic relationship selfless love and we embrace our weakness knowing that we are marked by your grace and we are who we are all because of who what you have done for us and that we are weak but in you we are strong for your glory use us we pray and father over the coming weeks as we transition to in-person services as we transition as restrictions are lifted help us to be gracious with one another help us to be loving with one another help us to be christ-like with one another i want to thank you and honor all those who, who serve and have served bless them reward them we pray and we pray lord that you be with us this week for your glory's sake amen god bless you